Inconceivable! You bastards! I'll get you for this! The following program is intended for mature audiences. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're going to talk a little seriously about some things. It's not as serious as a very special episode of Storytime, but it's going to be a slightly serious topic, or actually a couple of topics today. We're getting close to election time in the U.S., a lot of issues on the ballot, a lot of issues on people's minds. So I wanted to talk a little today about, I guess, how I became socially aware and politically aware. I mean, I'm not politically active in that I haven't ever run for office. I haven't ever gone door-to-door campaigning for people. I advocate voting. I sit down and discuss politics. I'm very, very interested in the political process. And so I wanted to share some of my interest and some of where that came from with you. And the reason that I wanted to do that, in part, was to show that a lot of change can come from the political process. You just have to get involved. The level of your involvement is entirely up to you, but you do have to get involved to make things change. Now, the first time that I found myself involved in a political process was actually in middle school. And when I was in middle school, my school still had a dress code. That's probably a concept that's entirely foreign to most of you, unless you went to Catholic school where they have the uniforms you're supposed to wear, or some private school where they have the uniform of the day, whether it's khakis and a button-down shirt, or whatever it is. When I was in school, there was a dress code. It wasn't as strict as a Catholic school uniform, but it was pretty strict. Number one, boys couldn't wear jeans to school. You had to have dress pants and shoes. No sneakers, no tennis shoes, no running shoes, real shoes. And girls had to wear skirts, or dresses, but no pants. I want you to think about that for a moment, both from the boys' and the girls' perspective. I mean, from the boys' perspective, all right, so you had to wear dress pants. Okay, big deal. But the girls' perspective was very, very different. Now, when I was growing up, the ideal was you were going to grow up, get married, have kids, and be a housewife for the rest of your life. That's what the thing for girls was. That was the plan. There were no real career paths beyond secretary or typist. At least that I was aware of. And that was reinforced by television and the movies. The girl was always trying to find a husband. If she wasn't married by the time she was 30, she was going to be an old maid. And a failure. That's the idea that was put into our heads. And so one of the things that they did to help reinforce this stereotype was to make sure that girls dress like girls. Skirts and dresses look very nice so that you'd be attractive to the boys. So that they'll ask you out. Maybe take you to a dance. Maybe eventually get married. And then you can start your life as a housewife. Boom. Life plan set in place. Well, somewhere along the line in my middle school years, the 8th graders, which was the highest grade in my middle school, didn't like this dress code anymore. Now, I don't know if it was primarily the boys who didn't want to wear dress pants or the girls who didn't want to wear dresses. Knowing girls the way I do, it's probably the latter. But either way, there was a big move put on to rescind this dress code. Now, I don't remember the details about what was done. I can't remember for sure if we had a vote in classrooms, if we had a vote in an assembly. I know there was a big to-do. I know there was a big hubbub. I know there was a lot going on. I was only in fifth grade at the time. So I was just barely paying attention to the fact that I couldn't bring my Snoopy lunchbox to school anymore, let alone the politics of what the dress code was. But I do remember it, and I do remember they got that dress code rescinded. 
they made enough of a stink that they finally made it okay. The school board passed a resolution. They finally made it okay for girls to wear pants to school. Oh, and boys could wear blue jeans too. But the thing that I remember is the girls. They could finally wear pants to school. And every girl that I knew was happy about it. And I can understand it, especially in the wintertime. Who wants to wear a dress or a skirt in the winter? Put on those warm pants. But that's when I first became aware of rules that exist that can be changed if you try to do something about it. And it's that incident that I started thinking about that kind of inspired me to tell you a few other things that happened not that long ago that changed because it was unfair to women. And this is all stuff in my lifetime, so this is stuff that's recently changed. I mean, it may not be recent to you, but I figure anything within the past 40, 50 years, that's pretty recent in the big scheme of things. I know, to someone who's 20, 40 years ago is a lifetime. But my measuring stick is, if it happens in my lifetime, it's pretty recently. Now, before I give you a couple of examples, I'll tell you flat out, do I consider myself a feminist? Yeah. I never really thought of it that way. I've always looked at myself as someone who believes in fairness for everybody. I don't care what race you are, what gender you are. I don't care whether you're gay or straight. I don't care really anything about what you like to do or what color your skin is or what church you go to. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is fundamental fairness. Is it fair to everybody? If it's fair to everybody, then it's okay. And if it's not, then it's not. And so I guess I am a feminist because the laws for the longest time have not been fair to women. And it's not just having to wear a skirt to school. There were some serious problems with the laws in my lifetime that had to be changed because they were simply unfair to women. For instance, did you know that in the 60s it was perfectly legal for a bank to refuse to issue a credit card to a woman if she wasn't married? Did you know that even if she was married, she still had to get her husband's permission? He had to co-sign on her credit card? That's in the 1960s, all the way through 1974. In 1974, they finally passed the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, and that made it illegal to refuse a credit card to a woman because of her gender. But can you imagine that? You're a single woman, just graduated from college, getting your first apartment, you get that credit card application in the mail, fill it out, bank says, nope, you're a single woman, not going to give it to you. Why? Well, because single women were supposed to be trying to get husbands, become mothers, so they could raise their families, take care of that beautiful house. So the banks didn't want to encourage these single women going out there and having lives of their own. Oh, and who ran the banks? You know what else women couldn't do? Serve on a jury. Now, these rules were different state to state, but in a lot of states, jury pools could not include women because they were too fragile to serve on a jury. We didn't want to upset them with the grisly details of some of these crimes. We didn't want to take them away from raising the family, taking care of the kids, making sure dinner was on the table for the husband when he got home. So some states wouldn't even allow women to be considered for a jury. That didn't change until 1973. Here's another one for you. Birth control. The birth control pill came out in the 1950s. In 1960, it was approved as a contraceptive method, but it was illegal in some states and in other states, it could only be prescribed to married women for the purposes of family planning. Again, the family planning thing. Get the right number of kids at the right time. So the married women had access, limited, to birth control pills. Even then, not all pharmacies stocked them. Because we didn't want to interfere with the natural reproductive cycles. What was the problem with the pill? Well, it might promote promiscuous behavior. We don't want our women out there being promiscuous, do we? Never mind that guys had condoms, 
and they could hound dog around all they wanted. But we don't want that in our women. So don't give them birth control. In a lot of areas, it was immoral. Some areas thought it was tantamount to abortion. And we certainly didn't want single women having control over their reproductive cycle. No, 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 no. That'll upset the natural balance of society. That was the whole thing behind birth control. That also didn't change until the 70s. So yeah, a lot has changed with women in my lifetime and in the past 30, 40 years. Now, not everybody thinks these are positive changes. You can still go to certain parts of the country. Hell, you can go to certain neighborhoods in any part of the country. And you're going to find guys who think the woman's place is in the home and in the kitchen making a sandwich. At one point, these Neanderthals will die out. But that's the battle that's still being fought. The other battle that's still being fought involves race. I talked a bit about race when I explained the Black Lives Matter to people who don't understand it. That's a few episodes ago. You can go check that episode out if you want to. But those who don't believe that race is an issue in this country, those who don't believe that there's inherent racism in this country, are just willfully blind to the facts of what's gone down in this country. And again, I trace my roots to this issue to when I was a kid. I'm an old white guy now. No secret about that. And at one point, I was a young white kid. Funny how that works. As a young white kid, I grew up in a town where we had one black family. Now, as a kid, I didn't think of them as black or white or anything except another family in town. The oldest daughter in the family was in my grade, and we went to school together. We didn't have all the same classes. But I didn't think anything about her except, wow, she's hot and smart and funny, and I like her. It wasn't until I got out of my town, and it wasn't until I started reading history books and taking history classes and paying attention to what other people were doing that I realized that some people see differences. So then I had to educate myself on what the hell's going on here. Now, my parents helped in the education, too. They explained things to me. They explained about slavery. They explained about racism. At the time that I was in school, we were actually taught things like this that was important. We were taught things like the Jim Crow laws. Which, by the way, if you don't know what the Jim Crow laws are, you really need to educate yourself. And I'm going to tell you a little about them right now. Because this is where the systemic racism comes from in this country. When I was growing up, I didn't know about this. I only learned about it after the fact, but it explained so much to me once I understood where this was all coming from, where the racist feelings on the part of so many people come from. I'm not saying the feelings are right. They are absolutely not right. They're totally wrong. They're ignorant and ill-informed viewpoints. But at least I know where they come from, and maybe I can combat them now that I know where they come from. But I wanted to mention to you where they come from, just in case you don't know. There's a lot of reading you can do, and I advise you to do it so that you understand the arguments. This isn't one of those issues where you just stand there and listen to people yell at each other and just stand on the fence. Well, I can't make a decision on this. There's no decision to be made. You either side with people or side with ignorance. I prefer to side with people. It all goes back to slavery. There's no question about it. It all goes back to slavery. I'm not going to refight the Civil War for you here. I'm not going to refight the causes of the Civil War here. If you believe the Civil War was fought for anything more than the right for the South to keep slaves, then you haven't been paying attention and you haven't done adequate research. So I implore you to do that. But after the Civil War, the federal government passed the Reconstruction Act in 1867. Basically, the federal government was trying to make sure that the South rebuilt and that blacks and whites could live together all having the same protections of the Constitution that they were supposed to have. And that was all well and good. And in fact, some black people ran for office. 
Black people had the right to vote. And the Reconstruction phase after the Civil War was actually starting to have a positive effect until the federal government backed out. The federal government decided it couldn't run all of the states in the South and deferred to the states to take over the running of themselves. Reconstruction officially ended in 1877. The southern states, with a higher population of whites, started enacting more discriminatory laws. Because 12 years after the end of the war, 15 years after the start of the war, the reasons for the war were still fresh in so many people's minds. And they didn't want to see blacks as equal to whites. And they refused to do it. They treated blacks as property and wanted to keep it that way. There were all kind of anti-voting laws put into place. There were all kind of segregationist laws put into place. Theaters, hotels, restaurants were all segregated. In fact, the laws read you had to provide a black side and a white side of a restaurant or a theater. You had to have black train cars and white train cars on trains. It was so bad, back in the 1930s, there was something that came out called the Negro Motorist Green Book. It was a travel guide. It was published so that black travelers would know where to go to avoid prejudice service. Schools were segregated. In fact, in some states, it was mandated that there had to be white schools and black schools. And big surprise that black schools got inferior materials, worn out textbooks, underpaid teachers, lesser facilities. The segregation included cemeteries and prisons. In prisons, the prisoners had to be segregated by color. In cemeteries, you couldn't bury a black person in ground that was supposed to be reserved for white people. That's how deep this segregationism went. The laws applied to banks. They applied to real estate. They applied to real estate developers. They applied to retailers. They applied to every form of business you can think of. The phrase that was thrown around was separate but equal. The rationale was, well, we're providing equal facilities. They're just separate. So isn't that equality? Well, it's not. And let me illustrate why. I'm going to take you back to your high school lunchroom. There's a dozen tables there. They're all identical. And you see a group of people sitting at table number one over there. And you're sitting by yourself at table number three. And you'd really like to go sit at table number one. The cool kids are there. It's closer to the door. Whatever the reason, you want to sit at table number one. They won't let you. For whatever reason, you're not cool, you're in the band, you're a track star, whatever. They won't let you. They say, sit over there at table three. It's the exact same table. Don't you feel outcast over there? Don't you feel that you're on your own? Don't you feel different because you can't sit at table one? I admit that's an oversimplification and it really doesn't address the race questions. But just put it in your head for a second. How it feels to be separate, but at an equal table. I mean, physically, the table is exactly the same. But is it really? The problem was, in 1896, the Supreme Court said, yeah, separate but equal. That seems okay. It was a decision called Plessy versus Ferguson, in case you're interested and want to look that up. But basically, the Supreme Court endorsed segregation. So if you want to understand why racism is systemic, that's why. It was built into the legislation that was passed in the years after the Civil War. And for year after year, decade after decade... These separate but equal facilities, this separate but equal mindset, this separate but different mindset was the default position for so many people. It wasn't until 1954, nearly 60 years later, that the Supreme Court declared discrimination in education unconstitutional, and it considered separate but equal when it came to education not acceptable. 
This is the Brown versus Board of Education decision you may have heard of or seen in the movies. But even then, it was another 10 years before the Civil Rights Act actually got passed by Congress. The Civil Rights Act did away with all those separate but equal laws. It said, yeah, no, that doesn't work. But if you want to see how recently this stuff was still in play, you can find pictures, you can find film, you can find video of separate but equal water fountains, lunch counters, locker rooms. You can find separate entrances, white only, colored only. It wasn't even black. It wasn't African-American. It was colored. And that stuff was happening right up through the 1960s. So if you want to take the view that this is ancient history, it's not. It was happening during your parents' lives, during your grandparents' lives. This systemic racism that was baked into the laws and baked into the mentality of this country is still there for a lot of people because they remember the way it used to be. They remember what they grew up with. They remember the attitudes that were acceptable. And sadly, a lot of people want to go back to that. They like that. They like the superiority. They like people knowing their place. Well, in my book, everybody has the same place. Everybody's on the same line. Everybody should be treated fairly and equally. Everybody should have the same opportunities. Everybody should have the same chances. And to accept the premise, to accept the belief that anything less than that is acceptable is simply wrong. That's not what the United States of America is supposed to stand for. I say is supposed to stand for. Because while we have an ideal in this country, don't forget the country was formed by people who own slaves. So the all men are created equal thing, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. But if you accept the premise, if you accept the premise that that's the way it's supposed to be, then there's no reason we can't strive for that today. Even though they didn't do it then, that's the foundation for what we're supposed to be about. Making a difference, making a change, getting involved, that's the stuff that you should be getting involved for. You should be trying to affect the change that makes this country the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be fair for everybody. Everybody's supposed to have a voice. We're supposed to have equal opportunities for everybody who's here. We're not supposed to discriminate against somebody because they're a woman, or they're black, or they're Asian, or they're transgender, or they're gay. Old white men may have written the Constitution, but when you read what they wrote, it's designed to apply to everybody. Being equal doesn't mean that I'm losing something. It just means that everybody else has a fair chance too. Being equal means that if I have a 4.0 grade point average and someone else does, whether it's a woman, a black man, or a transgender woman, and we each have 10 years of experience in the field, and we're all applying for the same job, the fact that I'm an old white guy should not give me an advantage. If it does, that's privilege. If it does not, that's equality. And while that may not seem fair to the people with the privilege, that's what we're supposed to be striving for. Equality. Not just for me. Not just for guys who look like me but for everybody. If you truly believe in what the United States is supposed to stand for, you have to believe that. Otherwise, you just don't understand the United States. You could have your belief of what you think the United States is supposed to be for, that white guys or Christian guys or old white guys of any ilk are supposed to be in charge. The documents mean what they say. The Constitution starts, we the people. It doesn't start, we the white people. We the white guys, we the old white Christian guys, we the people of the United States. 
in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. There's no limitations in there. There's no exclusions. There's no exceptions. It applies to we, the people. So as you go through your daily lives, as you're gearing up to vote this November, keep that in mind. This country is supposed to be for the benefit of all of its citizens, regardless of race, creed, color, sexual orientation. If you're a citizen here, you're covered. And any of you other than that, well, you just don't understand that. So I got a little preachy there at the end. There's been a lot going on in the world. There's been a lot on my mind. So I appreciate you indulging me there. When I started the episode today, I wasn't sure where it was going to wind up. I'm kind of glad at where it did. And I'm sure I'll continue with this ranting about the United States at some point. But I appreciate you listening today. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for putting up with me. I can't thank you enough for all the time you spend here and all the time you give me. It means the world to me, and I truly do appreciate you. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.